1 John chapter 1. This is the third message from the book of 1 John. I trust we'll probably just go all the way through this good book. I have found some I found some good reading on this book that I'm enjoying so much. And if I could bring all of it to you, I would. But uh, these authors have really gone into this. So I'm just trying to glean what I think is the best for us to hear right now. We're going to consider tonight the joy that the Lord Jesus possessed. And the question is this, how can it be said that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? That's in, you know, that's in Isaiah 53, verse 3. And then it be said of him in Hebrews 12, 2. Look at that. Hebrews 12, 2. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then in Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and he does have the joy of the Lord at the same time. But the sorrows and sufferings of Christ were very many and inconceivable. You've read a great deal about the sufferings of Christ. Now, he was one of infinite purity. He was perfectly holy, and he was surrounded by those who were hostile to God. And his feelings were multiplied. He had much more feelings than you and I do about things like that because of his perfect holiness. And he endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. But because he was deeply affected by this, and he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and he was deeply affected by what he had to live in the midst of, we must not exclude the other side of the Lord's experience. And I don't know whether you've ever thought about this or not, but he was a joyous person. Because he was a man of sorrows, we're not to conclude that he was a miserable person, and a stranger to joy. Now, I've never thought about this before. This is a mysterious realm, and we need to be very cautious in this. And I am very cautious. But we must not close our eyes to what is clearly revealed in the Scriptures. And we must see what is said of him in the Psalms, as well as in the Gospels, if we're going to see the whole picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that the Lord Jesus possessed a real, deep, and abiding joy is clear. Very, very certain. Not only from what he said in John. We'll look at John 15, 11 first. Here's what he said in John 15 and verse 11. And he makes other references in the book of John to the joy that he had. 15, John 15, 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy, my joy, he had joy, my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And then in 17, verse 13, John 17, 13, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So here's the man acquainted with grief and a man of sorrows, and he keeps mentioning the joy that he has and also other places in the scripture have you ever thought about this this is my first experience with it I knew he was a man of sorrow acquainted with grief but I'm finding out all the joy that our savior had other places uh, for instance Psalm 16 Psalm 16 verse 5 he said, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. And because of that, he said in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. My heart's glad. He had a glad heart. He rejoiced in his heart. And then we must not think of Christ during his earthly life as nothing but a man of sorrows. But we must think of him as one who was filled with joy. Filled with joy. And he has prayed that his joy might be yours and mine. And if we don't have it, it's because we do not take what he has for us. Aren't joy and sorrow in, incompatible? How can a man be joyous and, and uh, sorrowful at the same time? Paul said they both existed in him. Look at first, Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. Paul the apostle had both. Second Corinthians chapter 6 verse 10. He said, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Talking about himself. He said, as unknown, yet well known. And then as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. So sorrow and joy can exist in the same person. Our Lord found joy in the fact that the Father was always with him. And that ought to make us joyful too. 
John chapter 8, verse 29. Got a lot of scripture tonight. If you want to look it up while you help yourself, we're not in any hurry. John 8, verse 29. The Father was always with him. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And because of that, he was joyful because his father never left him. And in his uh, character as the great shepherd, he found joy in saving sinners. Luke chapter 15, verse 5. Luke 15, 5. He found joy in saving sinners. Talking about a lost sheep here, and it says in verse 5, When he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. Did you know when he found you, he rejoiced? Isn't that a marvel of grace? He rejoiced. Jack Shanks, he rejoiced when he found me. He put the sheep on his shoulder rejoicing. He was glad. He was happy about that. And finally, he endured the cross, and we read it a little while ago. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy that was set before him. The cross was a joy. And so we have a joyful Savior. You and I ought to have the joy of the Lord in this life. Christ had fullness of joy. Well, is this attainable by, the, by you and me in this life? This is very important. Is this attainable? Well, it must be or John would not have written our text. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. It may be full. It must be because our Savior says to us in John 15, 11, it must be attainable in this life so that we can be joyous. John 15, verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So you and I, my dear brother and sister, can have fullness of joy in this life. The Lord said in John 16, 24, Ask and you shall receive, why? That your joy may be full. John 16, 24. And I want to point all this out to you because our joy... I don't want us to go through life defeated and, and disappointed and downhearted all the time. No matter how rough the trip gets, to have joy in your heart. Our joy is little because of our lack of faith and hope. We don't have faith or we'd have more joy. The Lord knows all about our corruptions, yet he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to rejoice evermore. And if he tells us to, then he has made provision for us to do so. 
And it is both our privilege and our right to feed upon the Lamb of God and find the joy that is ours. Be joyful. Well, I don't know how. Well, you're just going to have to find out. <laughs> find out how. Because he expects us to be a joyful people. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You want to be strong? The joy of the Lord will give you strength. You feel bad, you're sick, you hurt all the time. Me too. We ought to be joyful in it though. All right now, verse 5 and 6. Let's look at these tonight. That's the joy of the Lord. I wanted you to share with me the fact that not only was he a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, but he was a joyful person. Thank God he was. All right, verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say, that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we walk in darkness. And what he's talking about here is a holy fellowship because it's found only in the light. In the light. If we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Hmm. Found only in the light. This is radically different from anything known to natural man. If I could just put my hand on it, the joy which this holy fellowship produces is different and greatly superior to anything experienced by our senses. This is over and above all of our, sen our natural senses. This is something I can't really explain to you. It's wholly spiritual. And if I could just get my hands on if I could get my eyes on if I could really find out, it's above all natural emotions. This is not an emotion. It's much more than religious excitement. Religious excitement doesn't amount to a whole lot, does it? When the excitement ceases, why, phew, everybody just is deflated. It's not religious excitement. Now, there has always been a mixed multitude who attach themselves to the people of God. Always. And yet no unregenerate person can partake of this joy. They say they do, but verse 6 tells off on them, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. 
They do not love the fellowship with the Father and the Son and the people of God. That's very evident. The mixed multitude that came out of Egypt, you know about them. They're still coming out of Egypt. They're joining themselves to the people of God. And when the word of God is preached, they may hear it and they may not. And they always have to decide whether they desire to hear what God says or not. And this is walking in darkness. And he said, this then is the message which we have heard of him. And here it is. God is light. God is light. He's not only a light, he light itself. Now get a hold of that. There is no light but God. God is light, expresses all the excellence and glory of deity. No man can approach this light. 1 Timothy 6.16 No man can approach this light. 1 Timothy 6 verse 16 Who only, well, uh, verse 15, in his time he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality. Dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. No man can approach this light that we're talking about here. This is God's own essential being. And God's own essential being cannot be approached except in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can approach God in the Lord Jesus. The light that is God absolutely considered must be veiled. This light must be veiled before you can approach unto him. And in the person of his son, the light came to save those in darkness. God is light. There is no blemish, no ignorance, no limitation, nothing contrary to his perfection. God is immutably Holy, he's impeccable. He not only did not sin, he cannot sin. James 1.13, we ought not have to prove that to anybody. James 1.13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. He cannot be tempted. He is impeccable. 
That just simply means he cannot, he cannot sin because he is the light, he is the holiness of God's light. His holiness is his very being. Oh, if we could just tell him like he really is. Now, verse 6, if we say, now get a hold of this, if we say, it's easy to say, it's easy to say. There are two classes of people which make up what is called Christendom. That's not Christians. Christendom takes in all the realm of anyone who has any kind of religious connection. And there are two classes which make up what's called Christendom. And we won't turn to Matthew 13 and Matthew 25, but in Matthew 13 and Matthew 25, there are those who are called tares as well as wheat. There are, there are bad fish as well as good fish. There are foolish virgins as well as wise virgins in the book of Matthew. Now the first class our people here have a name that they're alive, but they are dead. The second class of person, those who actually are those who actually possess spiritual life. And I'd ask you, do you actually really possess spiritual life? I mean, really, do you? You know whether you do or not. Now, in verse 6 here in our text, John was not referring to the unregenerate as such, but he's referring here to dead professors of religion who boasted of their enjoying fellowship with God. Oh, yes, I enjoy fellowship with God. But they're walking in darkness. It was not the openly wicked and profane, but those who bore the name Christian. It's in a name. If we say, are you a Christian? Oh, yes. We say, I'm a Christian. Those who were in the church, that's what he's talking about here. There are in the Christian assemblies those who are born of God and those who are not. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Why were they not all of you, John? Because they are those who just say, they say that they have fellowship with God and they walk in darkness. So there's a great need for all who say do you say, you say you're a Christian? You know the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, I say I do. 
You need to be tested by your daily life. Fellowship with God is to be gauged by conformity to Him in holiness and righteousness. And anyone who truly is walking in the light of God, what do they do? They grow. Take a test. They grow. Something that grows, one thing that grows is love. Do I need to love more? Well, do you? Look at this one verse, John 13, 34. John 13, 34. Here's your test. Do you love more than you used to? Is your love growing? John 13, verse 34. This is the Lord Jesus. And he said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. How much, Lord, do you want us to love one another? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, that's a whole lot of love, isn't it? We, we won't attain that, but we're always growing in that direction. He said, you love one another just exactly like I loved you. Have you attained that? Are you moving in that direction? Now, we ask the Lord to love us as we are, don't we? And if he loves me at all, he'll have to love me like I am. And it takes a long time for us to love others as they are. That's tough, isn't it? As they are. No, you want them changed. Don't, no, love them like they are. Let's don't quit. Let's grow in love. And as love grows and expands, it leaves less and less room for malice and envy and jealousy and hard feelings and hurt feelings. If you keep growing in love, you will grow out of all of these things because you love everyone just exactly like they are. So we grow in love. If we're, if we're not these folks that just say we're always growing in love and putting off all of these things. And then another thing that will grow is humility. And I don't even know what it is. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. In Proverbs 6, we won't turn there, but there are seven things that God hates. And the first one of those seven things is what? It's a proud look. So you're growing out of pride and growing into humility. Paul said in Romans 12 that we must not think more highly of ourselves than we 
ought to think, but to think soberly about what we really are. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You think you're somebody? Take heed. So much of our difficulty with other people is not for the glory of God, but rather it is for pride's sake. Amen. Silly, silly pride. But I tell you what, if you're not one of these folks that just say you're growing out of that, and you don't look down on people like you used to, you understand them more. You see their failings, and you understand that if you look at yourself, you have two where they have one. That's growing into grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet that old monster of pride won't die, will it? Humility. Are you growing in humility? I'm getting closer and closer to the end of the journey, and I know that, and you know it. How I would like to mature and grow old gracefully. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'm trying. Someone wrote this for me. Listen to it. He said, Lord, you know better than I know myself that I'm getting older and will one day be quite old. Keep me from that fatal habit of thinking that I must say something on every subject and on every occasion. Release me from craving to try to straighten out everybody's affairs. Make me a thoughtful person, but not moody. Make me a helpful person, but not bossy. With my vast store of wisdom, it seems a shame not to use it all. But thou, Lord, knowest that I want a few friends at the end of the journey. Keep my mind free from the recital of endless details and give me wings to get to the point. <laughs> oh boy. He wrote this for me. And Lord, seal my lips on my aches and pains. They're increasing day by day and the love of telling about them grows sweeter and sweeter as the years go by. I dare not ask for grace to enjoy stories of other people, but give me grace to listen to them with patience. I dare not ask for improved memory, but I ask for a growing humility and a less cocksureness when my memory clashes with somebody else's memory. Teach me the glorious lesson that occasionally I may be wrong. And keep me reasonably sweet when I am. I do not want to be overly pious because some of those people are hard to live with. 
But a sour old person is one of the crowning works of the devil. Give me the ability to see good things in unexpected places and talents in unexpected people and give me the grace to tell them so. Now that was written for me and probably for you too if you're honest. Oh, if I only had all those things. We're to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in the light. Don't walk in darkness. If we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Him, we'll walk in the light and not in darkness. All growth is centered in the knowledge of Christ. And the more I know of him and his person and his work and his grace, the more I will grow in grace. Learn of him. He's not only Lord and Savior, but he is our example. He said, love one another as I have loved you. He said, if I wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. And he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. In other words, as I grow in a knowledge of Christ Jesus, then I will grow in grace. And I won't just say, but I'll do. I want to do. I'll finish up tonight with ten questions. You can ask yourself these ten questions. See how you're doing. Number one, have I really learned to wait upon the Lord and rest in Him? Number two, how do I react to trial and disappointment? Number three, how do I respond to correction? Mature believers are always being corrected by the Word of God. Number four, do I have the capacity to change or am I so set in my ways and personality that I can't change? Growth is change. Number five, is it difficult for me to use words like I'm sorry I was wrong? Is that difficult for you to do? Number six, do I compliment more or criticize more? Number seven, can I keep long friendships or do you do something to break it off? Number eight, do I find greater satisfaction in giving or receiving? That's a good question. Number nine, has my appetite for the Word of God increased? Oh, if it has, you seek it out, don't you? You only hear it. You can't hear enough of it. And number 10, honestly now, do I really, do I really love the Lord and do I really love his people? Really? Do you really do that? If so, it grows every day and you're not just saying, but you're doing. If you say you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, you're lying. You're doing not the truth. And I am too. So let's 
Let's look this over. I don't want to just say to you, that'd be terrible to come up to the end of my days and hear the Lord say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I don't want to do that. And I know you don't either. This then is the message which we've heard of him and declare unto you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You believe that? Are you living in the light of God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ? 